music. I, I feel like I just need that, like when I walk in the office on Monday morning, just to feel like I'm here to do something significant. Anybody else? Anybody need that for their, their work? Alright. We have either a fan or a heckler. Either, either is fun. Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, who uh, is here today. Um, one of the most awkward things you can do in your entire life is have to preach Mother's Day and your mom be there. So uh, this will be fun. But moms are awesome. For those of you who got here earlier, uh, right before the service began, we watched a video about the toughest job the world's toughest job, hashtag world's toughest job. And it was, uh, for those of you who didn't see it, basically it is a uh, mock interview thing that they set up where they had people apply for this job. I'm not sure what the actual listing was. I haven't seen it. But basically they put together a real job listing and did these Skype interviews with people so that they could kind of apply for this job. And so as they're going through the interview, the guy is explaining there, there are no days off. You don't get paid anything. Um, it's 24 hours a day. You have to know how to cook. You have to know how to clean. You have to know how to do this and this and this and this and this. And uh, at, at the end of it, they say, well, you know, there's actually somebody already filling this job. There's actually billions of people filling this job. This is the job description for a mother. And that's one of the things that we, as we started looking at this series called Heroes, um, it was very easy to visualize how Mother's Day could fit into the Heroes series because moms, for so many of us, are heroes or heroines, if you will. And, and they, they just really exemplify what heroes are supposed to be about. I, I sound like I'm coming through an echo chamber. Is that just me or we cut me down a little bit? People in the back, can you still hear me? All right, I think we're good for a little while. But th this is uh, the, the time of year, every single year, where we talk about moms and we pat them on the back and we talk about how awesome they are. But for those of you who are in this room who are not moms, which I would guess based on looking around is probably about half of you. Uh, some of you, it's not possible for you to be moms. Um, some of you may not be quite to that age yet, and you'll be a mom one day. But for some of us who aren't moms, it's very easy to kind of tune out Mother's Day messages. We just go, oh, this is where we're going to kind of butter up moms and talk about how awesome they are. And there won't really be any significant takeaway. Well, the story of Hannah, yes, Hannah is a mom. It's a story about how she came to have her son, who was known as Samuel. But there, there are so many things in the story that help present a model for us for how we approach life and how we, we understand hardship and how we understand the things that we hope for that seem so far away. And so whether you are a guy, whether you're a mom, whether you're a kid and, and parenthood is way far away in your mindset, there's something for all of us in this morning's message. And this whole idea of heroes, the whole thing we've been doing is we've been looking at different characters within Scripture and looking at the ways that they juggled the circumstances of their life with their faith in God and tried to make sense of it all. And so for those of you who might not be a mom, there's still something in this for you this morning. 
And what it really deals with, what it really gets down to, is that for any of us who have ever longed for something, who have ever hoped for something and had to wait, there's a message for us in this. Some of you might be sitting there and you are waiting for the right job to come along. Some of you might be sitting there and you're waiting for your perfect family to come together. Uh, maybe there's something that needs to be reconciled in your life, and so you're waiting for that reconciliation to take place. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you're hoping for, there are things that we can gain from the story of Hannah that can be really instrumental for how we approach things in our own faith journey. Now, for me, this is not, the things that Hannah deals with are not things that I personally have had to walk through, uh, at least not yet in my life. Um, my most significant experience with a period of waiting, a period of hoping for something, uh, going back um, right after I graduated college, I was working in Athens, I was working at a campus ministry, and I spent a few years after I graduated from the University of Georgia working there. And while I was there, in my very first year out of college, um, I'm just, for those of you who don't know me, I'm the type of person that for God to speak to me, there's got to be like a two-by-four upside my head involved for me to get the message. I'm, I'm just not one of those people who just, just wakes up in the morning and then starts uttering, thus saith the Lord. And there has to be a little bit more significant things that happen. But I had a friend who, she was very in tune with God. She spent a lot of time in prayer, and she um, really was good about praying for other people. And she came up to me one night, and she said, you know, I was praying for you today, and I just really feel like the Lord wants you to go through a period of feeling like you're in the desert. And I, I just turned to her, and I said, that's awesome. Any other good news that you have for me? Because that, that just sounds great. Sign me up for that. And I, I was like, you know, did you get anything encouraging? Like there's going to be a, a spring of water available. Um, you could ride a camel because that would be cool. I, I, I didn't know if there was anything good in this thing. And she said, no, I just think you're going to go through a period where you're going to feel like you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, and it's going to feel at times like you're in the desert. And I, I just kind of shrugged off and said, well, that, that, that's sweet of you to think of me in such high regard. But I, I just said, okay, I, I guess I'll, I'll see what's going on here. And, and what transpired over the course of the next couple of years was it really, I wouldn't say that it was like a period of being in the desert. I wouldn't go to that extreme. But what I noticed was that in the couple of years that followed that, it was a period of time where I was really trying to figure out where I wanted to go with my life. It was a time where I was trying to figure out what my next step was. And, and some of you here this morning in the young adult category, you might be in that stage where you're either about to graduate from college or you've just graduated from college, uh, and you're just sitting around going, what's next? What's next? And I, I kind of went through that period for a couple of years. And what I realized was that, that oftentimes God does his best work in us during those periods of waiting. God does his best work in us and, and shapes us into the people that we're supposed to be during those seasons that might not always seem happy, might not always seem like we want them to be. And so for us this morning, we all face different circumstances. We might be waiting for the right job. We might be waiting for the right spouse. We might be praying for a child to come into our family at some point. We might be praying for grandkids, for those of you who 
had adult kids. And, and all of these things, we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting. And sometimes, if we're not paying attention, we might miss out on what God is doing during the wait. Now, 1 Samuel begins in kind of a dark place, both individually for Hannah and corporately for the nation of Israel. Uh, we've got this verse on the screen, and it's printed in your message notes if you've got a bulletin this morning. This is from verse 5 to 6. This is part of what Sam read earlier. This is speaking of, of Hannah's wife, but he, or Hannah's husband. But he would give only one part of it to Hannah, though he loved her because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. And because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving, her rival would make fun of her mercilessly just to bother her. So for Hannah, it was an issue of desiring to be a mother, an issue of wanting to be a mother. And for so many women in the Old Testament context, their, their most important role was being a mother. The most important thing they could do to have significance in their life was be a mother. And so for her not to be a mother, she, she didn't really have any rights as it was, as a woman. This was a different time period, and so uh, people had multiple wives, which kind of confused things even more. But, but some of you might, might even be able to relate to this. Some of you might have looked on uh, as people are starting families, and you look on, and, and you're, you're struggling, and you, you keep waiting for a child to come along, and it's just not happening. And so that was the situation that she was in. She had... Uh, someone living under the same roof as her, um, poking fun at her and, and picking on her because she had not done anything significant. She had not had a child which would establish her and give her work in that society. Now, it wasn't just her. It was also the nation of Israel was also going through a difficult time. In the book of Judges, Judges is chronologically what comes right before um, 1 Samuel. So in, in the grand history of Israel, um, there's the book of Ruth as well, which just kind of does a little aside to talk about the ancestors of David's family. But historically, in terms of talking about the leadership and the direction of Israel, Judges comes right before 1 Samuel. And this is what it says. This is the very last verse of the book of Judges. And Judges is one of the darkest, most hard-to-read books of the entire Bible because it was just chaos going on. And this sums it up well. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Each person did what they thought to be right. Some versions say, each person just did what they thought in their own eyes was the right thing to do. Basically, there was no governance. There was no semblance of what was right and what was wrong. People were just, it was basically anarchy was going on. And so the people were crying out to God, well, some of them weren't even crying out at all, because God seemed to be absent. God seemed to not be listening to Israel anymore, and so they were in this dark place. And so it's in the midst of that that Hannah's going through her own individual dark place. The nation is going through a dark place that she cries out to the Lord, and she asks for a son. Now, the question for us this morning is what do we do when things seem hopeless? Now, we can start by saying what we tend to do. Most people 
going their way, what do they tend to do? Anybody? Complain. 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 We start to have our own little private pity party. And then we take our pity party to Facebook. And we're on Facebook having our pity party. And it's no longer a, a private pity party. It's a pity party that keeps growing and growing and growing. And for those of us who uh, are branched out beyond Facebook, it might be Twitter as well. It, it might just be in the hallways of the church, in the hallways of work, or at uh, the neighborhood club, wherever it might be. The, our pity party starts as a personal thing, and the more we go along, we start pitching a fit. We start to gain a little bit of a victim mentality in the midst of it. Um, even those who have been blessed by motherhood, the job doesn't get easier once you've had a child. Um, and so you might have had a pity party as you were waiting for a child, but then once the child came along, uh, your pity party might have gotten a little louder uh, and a little whinier as you went along. But what so often happens is we find ourselves caught in the midst of a comparison trap. We're looking at other people's lives, we're saying, they've got it together. That's what I want. And, and we're just caught in this endless cycle of feeling sorry for ourselves. Now, Hannah emerges in the midst of that trap as an example that we can follow. And uh, if you've got your message notes, these are the, the two little bullets under that question, what do we do when things seem hopeless? The first thing that she does that she models for us is she turned to God with fervent prayer. And this is the, the scripture where she's praying. She made this promise, Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your servant. Give her a boy. Then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. And so in the midst of her, where, where she could have thrown a pity party, she chose instead of just sitting by herself and complaining, she was instead going to turn to the Lord. And what I believe that happens, and this, this is what I meant by sometimes our lives are shaped by the things that happen in those periods of waiting. Our lives are shaped in the times that feel like the desert. Is that I believe that her heart was shaped by the barrenness that she experienced. That her sense of helplessness, her sense of the lack of work, put her in a place where she realized all that she could do was depend on God. I, I knew a couple when I worked in Athens, and they, they were a great couple, and they, they were very committed in their walk with the Lord already, and they um, started trying to have kids, and they, they realized that just medically it wasn't going to happen. That there, there were some things that, that just didn't line up right uh, within her, her body chemistry, and it just wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to work out. And, and so they, they just committed themselves to prayer. So they, they were praying through all their options. And, and during that period of, of waiting, trying to figure out what to do, they found themselves just constantly surrendering to God, asking God to give them the direction. They needed it. And so they, the whole time they're going along, they just felt helpless. And they just kept praying and crying out to the Lord. And as they were going through this, they, they had the opportunity to go um, visit a church um, out on the West Coast. And they went out there and, and they prayed 
with some of the leaders of this church, and the leaders of this church said, you know, adoption is a very real possibility. That might be the direction you want to go. Um, there, there are other things you can do. You might want to go that direction. And they said, no, we believe that we've been called to be parents, and we believe that we're supposed to keep trying and keep trying. And we, we just sense through this entire process that God has made us completely dependent upon Him for our livelihood, for anything that's going to happen in our lives. And so the, the people at this church out west, they prayed for them, sent them back to Georgia, and uh, within a year they had their first child. Completely, naturally, nothing, nothing up with that. But just had their first child. And then uh, a year or so later, they had their second child. And then a couple years later, they had their third child. But it was this, this amazing story of God intervening into their lives where things seemed hopeless, where they were blessed in the process. And it only happened after they got to a place where they were completely dependent upon the Lord for anything that was going to happen. It was once they got to that place of complete surrender that God blessed them with their first child, their second child, and their third child. Uh, the other night, I was, uh, and I asked Paul for his permission to use this, but the other night, um, I was up in the sound booth getting ready for this Wednesday's uh, epic concert of the pre-K choir and the elementary choir, and they were going through their songs, and um, they're awesome. Let's come out and see them on Wednesday. And uh, Paul came up into the sound booth, and he was chatting with me a little bit. And uh, this is what happens when you're married and you work at a church, just in case you were wondering. People ask you all the time, when are you going to have a kid? Um, because there's something in the job description of pastoral staff must have kids at some point. Um, and so we're just like, okay. But uh, we're, we're, we're kind of in that waiting game that's, that's down the road for us. And I said, you know... Uh, I appreciate you asking, but um, we're trying to get through grad school and everything, and, and once in this stuff with grad school, then, then we'll think about it in a couple of years. And he said, yeah, we went through that as well. We waited until um, we were done with school and all, all that stuff, and, and then we, we struggled with infertility for uh, was it 11, 13, 11 years. 11 years. Uh, and through that process of waiting, they ended up adopting a little and then after they adopted that little boy, they had a child of their own. And, and what he said to me, the, the, this really moved me, um, is that if they hadn't have gone through that experience, they never would have done the adoption. And they would have missed out on that blessing. And so sometimes it's the hard things that we go through that end up giving us the blessing that we otherwise would have missed out upon. Now the second thing that we gained from Hannah, I believe that this is an important test for us in our own lives is she responded to God's faithfulness with faithfulness. She said, so now I give this boy back to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. She made a decision as she cried out to the Lord, Lord, if you would just give me this blessing of having this child, I'll give that child back to you. She said, if you would just Bless me with this child. I will dedicate that child to your service. And so she essentially was seeking a blessing. 
just for the purpose of giving it up and giving it back to the Lord. And so I think a good litmus test for us is when we ask the Lord for a blessing, we ought to ask ourselves the question, am I willing to give it back? So I believe there's a beautiful thing that happens as Hannah's life was shaped through her waiting, through her time, her period of waiting for that blessing. She realized that she was completely dependent upon God and that all that she could do depended upon God. And so if God was going to bless her, she could imagine doing anything but giving that blessing back to God. There's a uh, song that we sing uh, periodically in the service, uh, and it's kind of made the rounds the past few years. It's been covered by a variety of different artists, uh, and it's a story I've, I've shared before, but I think it's, it's so pertinent to this message for today. Uh, and that is uh, the this, this song called Like a Lion. And uh, Like a Lion has a line in it that I find incredibly bizarre to sing in a worship service because this is a service where we come together and we proclaim our faith. But there's a line in that song that says, my faith is dead, I need a resurrection somehow. And I read an interview with a guy who wrote that song and he, he talked about that he wrote it out of one of the darkest periods of his entire life. He was, he was just waiting for the Lord, he was struggling a lot of different things but personally uh, in his ministry. And he said that it, it was in that dark place that he felt like he needed God to move in his life in a completely different way. And so he just wrote those words down in his journal one day. My faith is dead. I need a resurrection somehow. Well, time went on, and he and his wife had been praying for a job. And they... They weren't able to have kids, and they kept praying and praying and praying. And eventually they felt, through the counsel of some other people, that it was time that they seek adoption as an option. And so they created this parental profile that went up onto a website in the Atlanta area for a Christian adoption agency. And they were just waiting and waiting and waiting. And not too much time passed, and they were contacted and they said, there, there's a young girl who's about to give birth to a boy. And she chose y'all. And so they, they are extremely excited about it. And they go to the hospital. And they're about to meet the boy for the first time. And they meet the birth mother and go through all of that. And they, they come to find out in talking to the birth mother that the birth mother uh, was, was a young girl. And she was given an ultimatum by her family. Either either get out or have an abortion. And she, she decided, I'm, I'm just going to get out for a while and try to process things and try to think things through. And so she moved to a, live with a friend in the Atlanta area. And as they were talking, she said, you know, it was, it was during that time period that I actually saw an ad on MTV for this adoption agency and decided to, that that might be the way out. That might be the thing to do. So I just started praying about it and thinking about it. Well, about that time, um, Daniel Bastia, the writer of the song Like a Lion, his sister walks into the room with a stuffed lion. And uh, Bastia kind of explains to the birth mom, you know, in our family we do things a little bit differently. We're not too into teddy bears. We do lions instead. 
And so, uh, you know, everybody kind of laughs a little bit. And the broke mom says, you know, it's funny that you say that you do lions in your family. Because as I was trying to figure out what to do, uh, I'd seen the ad for the adoption, and I went to church at the invitation of another friend. And while I was in church, they were singing the song about God living inside of us and roaring like a lion. And it was while they were singing that song that I had this peace come over me that no matter what I was facing in my life, that God was big enough to take care of me. And no matter what was going on, no matter what I decided to do, that God was big enough to take care of me. And tears in his eyes. Dane Basha said, you know, I actually wrote that song that was sung in that church you were sitting in about the lion roaring in silence. Now, the question for us this morning is, this is something. How is it that a young girl at the end of the line with her coat just magically winds up seeing an advertisement for an adoption agency and then has a peace about it while sitting in a church while the father that she's about to give her child to has written the song that is sung over her child while still in the womb. How, how does this work? How does this happen? How do things like this happen that where both of them, this young girl and this young couple who are unable to have kids are sitting there at the end of a line feeling completely out of hope. I believe it's because we have a God that's big enough for whatever is thrown our way. I believe it's because we have a God that in the midst of our situations that might seem hopeless, He's there to do the miraculous and to breathe hope back into life with us. And so as we close our service this morning, uh, I apologize that this may not have been the happiest Mother's Day message you've ever heard. But I believe for some of us here this morning, it's the message we needed to hear. It's the message that whatever it is you're waiting for, whatever it is in your life that seems like you're at the end of the line with hope, that we have a God that you can cry out to in perfect prayer, and we are faithful to respond to His faithfulness with our own faithfulness, that God is willing to do the miraculous in our lives. So as the band comes back up, I'm going to offer a word of prayer for us. And I just invite you to come and spend some time at the altar this morning uh, in prayer. And maybe there's something that, like Hannah, you need to come and cry out before the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender this to you. Lord, I bring this to you. Lord, please look upon me with faith because I'm in a situation that seems hopeless. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room. And Lord, every single one of us, we have different things that we've wrestled with in our lives. We have different things that we've held out for the Lord that we had to wait for, perhaps longer than we wanted to. And God, I pray that this morning that you would meet each one of us they come to this altar this morning, wherever it is that they are. And Lord, I pray that you would meet needs today. Lord, I pray that you would grant peace to our souls. The areas where we 
perhaps if you 